uh, so what you're saying so what you're saying so what you're saying is that <clears throat> there was a another teaching whether it is considered the primary teaching or the secondary teaching if the primary teaching was that it was his hair that gave him the strength then that was in error because that would be a secondary teaching of the story but the primary teaching was that when he came into cognizance once again of how he had that great strength in the Lord then once he had recovered that consciousness you're saying that the Lord therefore reestablished his strength well let me read it to you and it's in Judges 16:28. this is after his hair began to grow back which is really neither here nor there and 28 right. then, then Samson called to the Lord and said oh Lord God please remember me and please strengthen me just this time, O oh God, that I might at once be avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. And that's the whole story. He's just trying to get even with them. Now remember, this story is really bizarre because he wanted to mix races and his parents said, no, you can find one of ours people. And then you read down there and it says, but they didn't understand God apparently had him born for a purpose. And his purpose was to be a thorn in the Philistine's side. That's all I could figure out. Yeah, it, it, it taught the lesson again that these Philistines are not to be trusted. Not at all. And not only and not only are they not to be trusted, they are indeed enemies. Yeah. Now um this is very interesting right here. In 16 and 20, uh, she she tells he tells her about the hair deal. In 20, verse 20, and she said, "The Philistines are upon you, Samson." And he woke from his sleep and said, "I'll go shake myself free." And then there's a big but. He did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Amen. Now, how many times have you taught that? I mean, I've read it a million times. The Lord departed him. You know, and this guy was a whoremonger as well. I mean, he wasn't, from what we read in this story, a real class act. He dishonored his parents. He sowed his seed all over the countryside, I guess. 
And at the end of the day, he was just avenging the Philistines for poking his eyes out, the Philistines. So to me, it reads more like a Cain story. And it shows us that God is not what they tell us he is. Because um, lovey-dovey, lovey-dovey, he, he has, what I gained from the story is he has an incredible amount of patience, which I already knew, but it sort of reiterates that God does what God wants, and you can't, you you can't make make him into something he's not, which is what they've done. I mean, they, the scribes and the publishers, because right. they're the ones that perpetuate these myths. And the teachers, the teachers. Mm-hmm. Let me share something with you, Russell, along that thought. Good evening, Isaac and Jordan. We're in... Uh, uh, Russell has brought us some thoughts about the story of <clears throat> Samson out of Judges chapter 16, specifically reading from verses 20, 19, and 20. And in 20, Russell, I'd like to share with you that we have a footnote here where it says that he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. And guess what that footnote is? That footnote takes us to Numbers chapter 14 and verse 9. Now, Numbers Numbers 14, yeah, Numbers 14 is where Israel refused to enter into Canaan land. But Joshua and uh, Caleb, the ones who were sent to spy out the land that brought back a good report, Uh, They, of course, encouraged, but in chapter 9, or excuse me, 14 and verse 9, which this cross-reference to, it says, Only rebel not against the Lord, neither fear you the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. So along the lines of what you're saying there about Samson with uh, his strength he and you said you know it occurred to you that what is actually written here is that Samson said he'd do just as he did before but he did not know that the Lord had departed from him and so Mm -hmm. why why had the Lord departed from him that's the question isn't it it absolutely is And understanding the answer to that question should bring a lot of information to us. And, of course, as it says in Numbers 14.9, and I have another cross-reference there. I believe it's uh, 42 in uh, Numbers as well. Let me just double-check that. Yeah, 42. Go over to 14.4 and read it. Because I'd like to know what that word occasion means in in Hebrew. All right. And wherefore has the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? Now, you said there's a word. 
your your no, translation judge, is using. It, judge is 14. Oh, I'm 14. sorry. Judge is 14. All right. I, I can read it if you're not there. Go ahead. I'm there. Go. However, okay, let me preface this. Preface this. Uh, he wanted to take a wife of a foreign people. And the father and the mother said, in essence, you should you should take one of your own, one of our people. Verse four. However, his father and his mother did not know that it was of the Lord, for he was seeking an occasion against the Philistines. The he being God, correct? Yes. God was seeking an occasion against the Philistines. Now, you you could kind of take this and go, wait a minute, so God is sanctioning this behavior for his sake. But is that really the case? Well, 14.4 tells us, because he says, the Lord sought an occasion against the Philistines uh, for it was of, they knew not that it was of the Lord that he sought an occasion against the Philistines for or because of at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. Why should the Philistines have dominion over the over Israel? They should not, according to God. Right. So since they have taken a position to be in dominion over Israel, God's uh-huh. got a beef with that. So is this an honor for Samson to be chosen in this manner? Or is he just going to utilize Samson's disobedience and stupidity? Well, both. <laughs> I think so. It's another because the scripture this right because the scripture tells us in the end that he took down more Philistines in the end than he did in all the time previous. So uh-huh. that made Samson a great that made a Samson a great man, but in the eyes of God, he was an instrument and a tool to bring destruction upon the Philistines for having dealt this way with one of the Israelites, especially, namely, and, Samson. And, and you know, there's another teaching there, and it's a reiteration of how God works through his people. He could have caused that destruction on the Philistines without any help from Samson. But for some Absolutely. reason, he, he works through his creator creations I mean we had one group in our ministry that used this to excuse sin you remember I do and so they were kind of misconstruing it a whole other direction 
I mean, you do the right thing, don't you? You do the right thing. And as parents, you don't get to, you don't get, you don't get to make, you don't get to make their decisions. They make them, when they get older, they make them for themselves. And you, you do your best to try to influence them. But they're, they're going to do their thing. That's kind of, kind of difficult to understand sometimes. Yeah, hard to hard to accept when you're trying to steer them in a better direction, or at least what you believe is a better direction. And you oftentimes, you know, again, as in the case of Samson, you know, his parents tell him, you know, why would you do this? You know, they knew they knew God's command regarding this, and and say. You know, and they tell him, you know, don't do this. You know, take take a, a woman of the Israelites, and and he he doesn't listen. He ignores it, and so now we look at the story and we say, well, God took this proclivity of Samson, or God in His infinite design as being the Creator, um, had it predestined and pre-planned that because of Samson's proclivity that he would in fact use that proclivity to to show honor and praise and glory to Yahweh, the God of Jacob Israel, because God was going to work a work later on in Samson's life that would redound throughout time as to how these individuals treated, how this group of Philistines dealt with an Israelite and showed him how uh, how they took a position over Israelites, which they were not entitled to have. Uh, But but the story... The story gets even better when you think I kind of opened it up as saying the hair wasn't the the power, but but it, it did have a part in the story. If you go back to chapter thirteen, this Manoah's wife could, could not have children. She cried right. out to the Lord. And the Lord said, you're going to have a child, you're going to have a son, and he gave me specific instructions not to to drink wine and don't eat unclean things, and he told him about don't cut the hair on the head. And so just imagine, these these parents obeyed the word of God. You've got to assume that. And so, run it forward a little, and you see that it, their obedience is what 
I mean, he was in on this plan the whole time, God was. And uh, it's just a very interesting story about the nature of God as being kind of contrary to what the mega preachers are preaching. Yeah, uh, I would agree with that because, uh, you know, the story uh, makes him intricately involved in human life and intricately involved in in an event or a series of events. And um, when, you, when you seek to alter those things by doing contrary, it's God that's always looking for the way in which to, and, you know, uh, this goes to his, foreknowledge of these things mm-hmm. and it just uh, it really should open the eyes of people to say you know um, how can we take this God and, and treat him so callously as if he's not here as if he does not uh, you know take up a cause if you will or engage in an action um, and it kind of goes to what we were talking about last week a little bit, and some of what I had planned for here tonight as well. Is it, I think it segues very clearly um, because we are oftentimes led by church leaders as if this God really has nothing to do and has no involvement with with us today or or that there's there's simply a change if you will and that defies everything that we've learned in the bible is that he does not change that he is the same and that you know he knows the beginning from the end and I think that's part of our situation in America is a similar situation that Samson found himself in, which is desiring to go the way of the heathen, if you will. You know, he went after the strange wives that he'd been instructed not to. He couldn't help himself. And God was going to work a plan through it. And, and you you got to imagine those parents were praying for him when he went against their teaching. Yeah. You know, God God heard their prayer. Um, he just crossed well, the how about, Well, how about the prayer? This is something that I think isn't considered also. What about the possibility that the prayer, upon knowing that Samson was going to do this, that they prayed that God would work it for an occasion to do just exactly to the Philistines what wound up happening. See, that's a prayer that it isn't said here, but it's clearly uh-huh. a possibility. It's clearly a possibility, isn't it? it very, I hadn't thought of it, but when you read this story, you just wonder if there's more to the story that we don't, we don't know about. Well, and it, and that's what I'm saying. When you pray to the Lord and 
he grants that wish, such as, you know, Manoah entreating the Lord and seeking for a child um, and his wife, um, you know, then, then the answer to those prayers, then why is it such a stretch to think that when your child is disobedient, that a prayer wouldn't go out, that in spite of the disobedience, that God would work it for his praise, for his glory, and for his name. You see, because as Christians, as sons of Christ, and doing the will of the Father, that's what our prayer should be. And so it strikes me... It strikes me as it is very likely and very probable that these parents understanding the answer to prayer that they'd already had in Samson the son, that they didn't hesitate for a minute to take it to the next level and say, Lord, he doesn't know what he's doing. This is kind of interesting what you said because in 22... Of 13, so Manoah said to his wife, we're going to die because we've seen God. And his wife had to help him to remember. Um, She said, uh, if the Lord was going to kill us, if he desired to kill us, he would not have accepted this offering and a grain offering from our hands, nor would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have let us hear things like this at this time. Then the woman gave birth to a son, named him Samson, and the child grew up, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him. So, you know this young boy was raised, know the laws of God, I think. Uh, oh, I don't absolutely. know why. I don't know where he went to to Mana, Timana. I don't know why he twisted off, but you know what? It's a it's a good bet in our lifetime most of us twist off. That's another beautiful teaching about this is how God doesn't give up on us. It's because we screw up. He takes a bad situation and uses it for his glory. Amen. Amen. Get to what you had in mind. I'm ready. Well, and and again, as I say, I think it's a great segue, really. I'm always pleased because there are times that you and I have talked about this where you know, you'll come up with something, or Rich, or anybody, you know, in, in the past, and and it, it, you know, it's not like it's out of line or anything. I believe it's a Holy Spirit moving, and and when I, you know, when I think about what I was attempting or going to potentially bring, I, I mentioned it last week, and it's out of Second Chronicles chapter 19 and 20. And it has to do with King Jehoshaphat. And as I've, as I've contemplated what's going on in America and how the country is under this invasion, 
Um, something occurred to me the other day, um, and I got to thinking about this fact. This is a fact. We are constantly being taught and constantly being bombarded with the the war or the battle, if you will, being ideology. Now, let me explain what I'm saying. You see, we're talking about communism and socialism from the those on the left, right? And so what is that? What is that? You see, that's, that's a, an ideology that we're supposed to be at war with. You know, some like it, some don't. And the thought occurred to me is that as long as they can keep us fighting, quote, unquote, an ideology, it keeps us from really fighting the enemy. And I hope that you're understanding what I'm saying about that because when I look at the biblical record, I don't see so much, you know, it's kind of that primary and secondary teaching which you mentioned or which we, you know, mentioned with regards to the story of Samson that you shared with us. And I look at this and I say, you know, the biblical record is a story about the enemies of the ways of God. That is the primary story in biblical record. But if we can shift that thinking of the people into a story of platitudes and ideologies, it's like Esser's complaint several weeks ago about how can I be sitting here with four other Christian men and we all think differently. One guy says, well, you know, as long as we just try to live our lives uh, and do the best we can, then God's with us. The other one says, well, I don't believe that the laws are really applicable to us today. And the other one says another thing, and the other one says another thing. And so what I'm saying is that we have been taught to fight ideologies. And when you think about it, how do you fight an ideology? You see, because... you're fighting more or less somewhat of a fiction rather than fighting the true enemies. And as I was reading through 19 and 20 in 2 Chronicles here a couple of weeks ago, I thought so much about America. So I'm going to quick read them and... and then share some thoughts that I have regarding it. And as I say, I think it segues real well with what you just shared with us out of Samson, whereas things are not as we've been being taught to believe. And we need to get our thinking corrected about how we think about what it is that we are to be doing and what it is that we are about. And I think if we get our eyes off of the ideology, you know, oh, we're fighting socialism and communism on the left right now, and, you know, uh, it's constitutionalism or this or that or whatever on the right, and, you know, things like that. And so as a result of that, we miss the mark of true, the true thing, the primary teaching which we ought to be taught, and that is who the enemy is 
and why the enemy wants us taken out. Second Chronicles chapter 19. Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, returned to his house in peace to Jerusalem, and Jehu, the son of Hananiah, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Shouldest thou help the ungodly and love them that hate the Lord? Therefore is wrath upon them from before the Lord. Nevertheless, there are good things found in thee, in that thou hast taken away the groves out of the land, hast prepared thine heart to seek God. And Jehoshaphat dwelt at Jerusalem. He went out again through the people from Beersheba to Mount Ephraim and brought them back unto the Lord God of their fathers. So what we see here is that Jehu reproved Jehoshaphat wondered if he wasn't helping the enemies and and essentially assisting the enemies. But there were some good things in Jehoshaphat, and one of these things was that he set his heart right for for the Lord. And also, he went out to get the people also in that same mode of thinking. He set judges in the land throughout all the fenced cities of Judah, city by city, He said to the judges, Take heed what you do, for you judge not for man, but for the Lord, who is with you in judgment. Wherefore, now let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Take heed and do it, for there is no iniquity with the Lord our God, nor respect of persons, nor taking of gifts. Moreover, in Jerusalem did Jehoshaphat set of the Levites and of the priests and of the chief of the fathers of Israel for the judgment of the Lord and for the controversies when they returned to Jerusalem. He charged them, saying, Thus shall you do in the fear of the Lord, faithfully and with a perfect heart. And what cause soever shall come to you of your brethren that dwell in their cities between blood and blood, between law and commandment, statute and judgment, you shall even warn them that they trespass not against the Lord, and so wrath come upon you and upon your brethren. This do, and you shall not trespass. Behold, Amariah, the chief priest, is over you at the matters of the Lord, and Zebediah, the son of Ishmael, the ruler of the house of Judah, for all the king's matters, also the Levites, shall be officers before you. Deal courageously, and the Lord shall be with the good. All right, now 20 is really where I'm going to, but I wanted to give 19 for context. Go ahead. Before you start, I thought it was interesting back at the front where it said, in my Bible, it said that Jehu, the son of Hananiah, the seer, went out to meet right. him. Okay, and and remember, Jesus came to give sight to the blind. And so I was thinking, these seers or actually could be just very faithful, wise followers of God's word, and they saw things that others couldn't see, and that's where they got their name. And actually, they're just doing what God tells them to do. You, you know, like we see things, don't we? Yeah. And so, yeah. you get my point? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, push on. So in verse 20, or in chapter 20, it came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon, with them other beside the Ammonites, came against Jehoshaphat to battle. There came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There comes a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side Syria, and behold, they be in 
Hazazon Tamar, which is in Engedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, art, thou, art not thou God in heaven? And rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thine hand is there not power and might so that none is able to withstand you? Art not thou our God who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel and gave it to the seed of Abraham, thy friend, forever? And they dwelt therein and have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name, saying, If when evil comes upon us as the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we stand before this house in thy presence, for thy name is in this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction, then thou will hear and help. Man, there is so much in those, what, from three to nine, six scriptures to unpack. But just think about it. Jehoshaphat feared when he saw the multitude coming in amongst him. In America, the multitude is coming in amongst them. And do they fear? No. They don't fear. Jehoshaphat feared, but it was a righteous fear. It was not a trepidation fear. You see, he knew that this was a huge company. And he gathered himself together to ask the help of the Lord. And what, it, what was the first thing that he did? I mean, I know this is not revelation to us right now, those that have been paying attention to the scriptures and reading them, but I'm trying to bring it into the modern context of today in America. Where are the leaders that are gathering themselves together to ask the help of the Lord, even out of all the cities of Israel here in America? You see, it's not happening. And I'm trying to bring our mind to, in fact, I was thinking of titling this message series, perhaps, God's Ways Are Not Our Ways. And using the scripture in Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, if somebody wants to go there, then they can read that. But this is where we are told that God's ways are not our ways. And so the story that you read about Samson just clearly indicates that God's ways are not our ways. He heard a prayer of a young couple that wanted a child. She was barren. And God honored that prayer. And then when that child sought to go outside of Israel for for a wife, they did not know that it was of the Lord. God's ways are not our ways. Yeah, and and look at three. Jehoshaphat was afraid and turned his... I'm going to read you the origin of the word here, of attention. He turned his active direction of the mind upon the object. Okay? 
Yeah. That you said what's the first thing he did? He got focused, didn't he? Yeah. So that's a pattern we can follow, isn't it? It is, and that goes to the things that you keep bringing up week after week is what's the pattern? What is it that we're supposed to do? And I believe that in the scriptures there is that pattern. And I believe that we would do well to learn and understand that pattern. And right here we're seeing a pattern. We're seeing something, you know, just as I've said about Second Chronicles 7.14, you know, how many times have we heard that? You know, well, let's just pray Second Chronicles 7.14. You know, well, if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, there will I be, you know. Well, no, it doesn't end there. You know, I always say there's an activating verse to Second Chronicles 7.14, and it's found in verse 17. And that is, when you call upon the Lord, you better be prepared to get right with the Lord. Because getting right with the Lord is, is a prerequisite to getting help from the Lord. Amen? Well, listen to this. Further on down here, still talking about the word attention, it says it's a power of mental concentration. So later on in history, we use the word attention span. So you don't have the ability to hold on to that power. So you you get off focus. So something knocks you off focus. I thought that was interesting, the power of mental concentration. So you are empowered with the first step. He feared, he feared, he just said Jehoshaphat was afraid. There's the motivation. Now he's received this power and now he's concentrating mentally on the right thing. Isn't that interesting? It is. It is. It, it, it's, it's fixing the mental framework on something else. See, and that's what I was saying about ideologies. You see, we have been taught, as I said, to fight the ideology. And in the meantime, I say, when we look at the biblical record, we're seeing that God is talking to us about enemies of the ways of God enemies toward the will of God, adversaries toward the will of God. And now that shifts our thinking, and it shifts, shifts our focus, does it not? Because now we are to be looking at those people who are actually engaged in the improper ideology, if you will. And so... Yeah. Our focus then now becomes, you see, if we, can, if we can be taught to fight the ideology, we will never see the enemy, will we? No. But, uh, because we don't see the enemy as an enemy. We only see the enemy as an ideology. Even though we recognize that, even though we recognize that ideology is in fact being carried out, through the instrument of humanity, it's somehow 
takes our focus away. Are you following me? So what you're saying here is David didn't go up to Goliath and try to argue with him about religion, did he? No. Now, Goliath was spouting out all this anti-God stuff, wasn't he? Yep. And David David said, I am not going to tolerate this anymore, didn't he? Exactly. Now, can you imagine the revival that took place when he brought that head over to Saul said, hey, you want this? He was talking bad about our God, so I just took care of it. One of the interesting things that I found, one of the other interesting things that I found in this particular scripture that you stopped us on is that where it says, seek the Lord, I have a footnote, and the footnote leads me back to chapter 19, verse 3, which we read, and it says, prepare thine heart to seek God. Well, that has a footnote, and it leads me over to chapter 30 of Second Chronicles and verse 19. And let me just quick read that, because it, I think it should get us the sense of what we're talking about. And I have to begin a little bit into 18, but Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, The good Lord pardon everyone that prepares his heart to seek God, the Lord God of his fathers, though he be not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. See, Hezekiah understood that even though I could not properly cleanse all of the people, he prayed a pardon upon the people for them not being cleansed and that God would still carry out what was necessary and uh, and required that the children of Israel would be, you know, taken care of in the situation there under Hezekiah. So it's just another one of those interesting aspects. You know, like I said, there's so much to unpack And when you see Jehoshaphat feared, I mean, that right there, he feared. But it was a godly fear. It wasn't a fear against the multitude. It was a godly fear. And that godly fear was because, as it says in 19, in 3, he says, and that he's prepared his heart to seek God. So Jehoshaphat was already preparing his heart to seek after God. And in America, the people's hearts are not being prepared to seek after God. Where do you hear the leadership preparing the hearts of the people to seek after God so that they will be have this affliction that is plaguing them be removed from them? But I dare say, if they could have their hearts made right, they would see the wickedness among them. Anyhow, It's interesting to me that throughout this scripture here, there's more to this this second chronicle. So I've got to move on. I'm going to begin now back at 10. And now behold, the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom thou would not let Israel invade, when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and destroyed them not. Behold, I say, how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession, 
which thou hast given us to inherit. Our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that comes against us, neither know we what to do. But our eyes are upon you. And all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives and their children. Now I'm going to stop there again. Because think of our current situation. Verse 10, how much there to unpack. Verse 10 alone, behold the children of Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir. Okay, who are these children of Ammon? Who are the children of Moab? Who are those from Mount Seir whom God did not let them go through their land? But importantly, it says, when they came out of the land, they turned from that. Behold, 11, I say, how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit. You see, it's time for us to recognize And I know that those of us here fellowshipping here tonight do, for the most part, recognize this, and we're trying to call out to the other peoples. But see, we are these same children of Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir, and others that we're going to get to in the rest of the scripture. They are casting out of this possession. They want everybody to come to a knowledge, a new truth, and a new understanding <clears throat> that this land is not a land that was given to us. Even though the scripture says God sets the bounds of the nations according to the number of the children of Israel. So when the North American continent was established and blossomed like it did, we have to understand and recognize and acknowledge that God's hand was in it. But those that hate God, those that see not his will and do not see his desire that people be not oppressed and that they be not you know, trodden underfoot by other groups of men or whatever, and especially the apple of his eye, those Israelites, who were to be the blessing to the world, that's exactly what's happening. We're being now told and taught to believe that we have no reason to have been here in this land. It's the Native Americans. Shoot, since the 60s and the 70s, they were paying the Indians and giving land back to them and paying them large largesses from state treasuries and federal uh, dollars and funds. And that, you know, we're the invaders. The Mexicans who are coming from south of the border, who were driven back into Mexico, are now coming under the auspices that they are intending to reclaim the land for them. We're being told that our history is not what our history is. Our history is something other than that. It's founded upon slavery and and everything else. And so, therefore, you know, we have no right to to the land. And this is exactly what was happening here in Jehoshaphat's day. He said, I say now they reward us not to come now and to cast us out of the possession which thou gave us to inherit. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there, Rich? Not much. 
<laughs> What's new is having uh, 10 Democrats, 20 Democrats, and none of them look any good for anything, tear each other up. Verse 12. Verse 12. O oh, our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company. You see, that's, that's a different mind frame, is it not? O oh, our God, will you not judge these that come in amongst us and say, you have no right to the inheritance of this land that God gave us? that he is the one who sets the bounds according to the number of the children of Israel, this place of regathering of 2 Samuel 7.10, here on the North American continent where Israel of old came and migrated to the North American continent. You see, there's the, the thing that I was hoping to do was just share with us now how this is so appropriately linked to today and how our people need to be able to see this. Let's continue. Promises uh, here in verse 14 and on. Then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Madaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. And he said, Hearken, you all, Judah, you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord unto you, Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. See, this battle that we're in here is not ours. This battle is for God's name, for his glory, for his praise, for all to acknowledge the God of Jacob Israel will do what he will and he will crush and bring the recompense upon those who seek to tear down, oppress, and and supplant his people. As we learned, it was God that carried them into captivities. And if God's going to carry us into captivity here in America, then he's going to do it. The battle is the Lord's. Now, some might say, well, okay, Doug, does this mean we just sit back and we wait on the Lord? No. As you see here, there's a spirit of the Lord that came upon one of these sons. And what did he say? Don't fear. Just the same thing that Jehoshaphat was feeling was this great fear. You know, have we fallen into the hand of the enemies? Or will our God save us? And the interesting thing, he said, hearken you, well, uh, tomorrow go down against them, verse 16, behold, they come up by the cliff of this, you shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jer- Jeruel. He shall not, you shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves. Stand yourselves still and see the salvation of the Lord with you. 
O Judah and Jerusalem, fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. Judah then, here, Jehoshaphat bows his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korhites stood up to praise the Lord, God of Israel, with a loud voice on high. They began to sing praises to the Lord for what he was going to do. Because one man rose up in their midst and said, the battle is not yours, the battle is the Lord's. He had the wisdom to see that this is not about anything other than the battle that the Lord is going to bring to bring all knees to bend and say, there truly is a God in Israel. They rose early in the morning and went out forth into the wilderness of Tekoa, and as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, all you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so you shall be established. Believe his prophets, so you shall prosper. So what did he do? He said, believe the prophet. He said, believe in the Lord your God. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord, that they should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and to say, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set his ambushments against the children of Ammon. Moab and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. For the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir. What happened? Ammon and Moab stood up against Seir, utterly to slay and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, everyone helped to destroy one another. They were destroying one another. Hallelujah. You talk about God's ways not being our ways. I can see this, man, in my eyes. I can see these That's what our enemies are doing to us right now. What's that? That's what our enemy is doing to us. Exactly. And, you know, when you said, Rich, about these, these you know, Democrat primary candidates and stuff, um, you know, they're kind of eating their own right now. And we should be yeah. singing praise and glory to God that they are destroying their own. They're destroying themselves. They're turning one against another and destroying them. And when Judah came toward the watchtower in the wilderness, they looked under the multitude and behold, they were dead bodies fallen to the earth, and none escaped. You see, it wasn't the ideology that died, was it? It was flesh and blood individuals. And the interesting thing to me is who were these individuals? You see, because there's a connection to this in Ezekiel as well. And it says... What I, what I found myself getting into, and I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself because I've just got scattered notes right now, but um, this invasion that we're seeing in America is the same thing that, you know, is taught us in Ezekiel and, and probably even to some degree and lesser extent in, 
in both of the invasions, you know, preceding the captivities. But what I found interesting was that it was Mount Seir. Who is Ammon? Who is Moab? And who is Mount Seir? Well, we find out when we go to Genesis 25, Genesis 28 and 9, and Genesis 36. Remember how we spent time in the in the series we did on Israel, Judah, and Jew, and these of Mount Seir were the Edomites. And remember that, so what I did was I did a quick study to, to share with you about who these individuals were again. And in uh, Ezekiel 9, 1 and 2, we found that the Israelite leaders were mingling themselves with the people of the land doing according to their abominations. And I asked myself, well, who were these people? And then I used that old phrase on myself that Pastor Peters did, which is, glad you asked. You see, because what it was in the scripture right there in Ezekiel 9, 1 and 2, it says, quote, even the Canaanites, that's number 03669, it's from 03667, and it's the fourth son of Ham, progenitor of the Phoenicians, and the various peoples and nations who peopled the seacoast of Palestine, and merchant traders. Then I looked at, okay, who were the Hittites that they were uh, commingled with? The Hittite was from the second son of Canaan, the Heth, or Hethites, hence the name. It should be Hethites, probably translated, but it often is just translated Hittites without the H. But that's who they were, the second son of Canaan, Heth. Peopled, uh, these are the people who peopled Turkey and northern Lebanon. And then Pyrazites, number 06522, um, they were rural dwellers, uh, dwelling in the open regions, uh, generally inhabiting southern Canaan prior to the conquest of, uh, of that day. Um, Jebusites, Jebusite, Jebus was the third son of Canaan, so therefore they were the descendants of Jebus, Jebusites. Also, the early name of Jerusalem, that was interesting to me. I got that out of uh, Easton. Uh, no wonder they desire this land. It, uh, I have made a note there. No wonder they desire this land. Um, but more interesting is Jebus means threshing place. These Edomite, Canaanite, Hittite, you see, when Esau went to take wives, the more wives that they would have taken from Canaanite um, peoples, they would have really bred themselves right out and become basically purebred Canaanites. But there's something that I think they recognize that they have to do, and it brings me to this president and his daughter. You see, she 
Kushner married her. And Kushner also has to get a little bit of that Israelite bloodline back in. Always, they've got to have a little bit of that Israelite bloodline in them lest they would become full-fledged Canaanites. Now, I don't have enough to know how to really fully get all of this studied out, but it's some things that just started to occur to me and how Mount Seir, we know from the scripture, is Esau-Edom. You just go back to Genesis 28, 9, 36, you know, remember we said four times, I believe it was in one scripture, we were told Esau is Edom. Esau is Mount Seir. You know, we clearly had the record being established for us that we would have no question as to who these Edomites were. And that is why Christ, when he walked amongst the people, said to them, he said, I know you're of Abraham, but you do not hear me. You do not do the things that Abraham did. You are of your father, an adversary to all things godly, the God of Abraham and Jacob. You see, they were constantly doing that. They're in this perpetual war with us, and the war that they wage, they they wage it while we are chasing ideologies and missing the mark of who the true enemies are. And that's what I say. When we look at the biblical record, it occurred to me, and I don't mean to sound like I'm so stupid or whatever, but it's not that it hadn't occurred to me, but it occurred to me more profoundly, I guess, this the past couple of weeks, that... When we know who the enemy is, we would desire that the enemy be crushed. But as long as all we're doing is fighting an ideology called communism, you see, we can fight communism forever. And we will never crush the ideology. But if we are fighting a flesh and blood enemy, now we can do some good for the kingdom of Christ. And so, well, what are you saying, Doug? We're supposed to go out and fight the enemy. No, we're supposed to recognize that these are the enemies of God. These are the enemies of the ways of God. He commissioned his people to carry out the righteousness and the righteous will of God. And those that will not, he said, bring them before me and lay them before my feet. So who's, who's doing the slaying? It's Christ, God in the flesh, doing the slaying because we have brought these enemies and said, slay them, just as Jehoshaphat did. He said, these enemies, they entreated us while we did them good and did not invade them. They now come in amongst us. They're taking out the possession that you gave us and driving us from the possession. And would to God the people in America could recognize and understand that this is exactly the same thing that's going on in America that happened in Second Chronicles chapter 20. 
Where am I going wrong, man? Oh, it sounds like to me you're advocating a snake roundup. The biggest one in America is about uh, 60, about 100 miles east of here. And, and you see these snakes by the thousands. And you realize, you know, the rancher's creed was if you see one, kill it because he might kill someone else. No, and and that's that's what snakes do. They slither around eating mice and biting people, innocent people. So this uh, these this bunch running for president. The head guy, the leader of them all, his own wife came on today and said, look, I know he's not much to speak of, but he's the only shot got to be Trump. Now, how pathetic is that? This is the man's wife. Well, if anybody knows him, it's his wife. Well, well, think about it, you guys. All right, well, hold on. Hold out. I want to give you something else to think about about that. <clears throat> think about this. There's an esoteric message in that. The esoteric message is with Biden, you know that the system is in place to take Donald Trump out. And if you go with one of these others, we cannot guarantee that the system will be in place in order to do that. And knowing what we know about how they did the things that they did, we know there was a system in place in which to take out those who were not going to be approved or those who were not ruling the roost and going to continue in it. So that's a food for thought about that. Oh, yeah, there's plenty of food for thought. Plenty of food for thought, Doug. Have you noticed how the Mueller investigation disappeared? Not even on the radar anymore. Remember Mr. Barr saying we're going to have a counterintelligence investigation? All over with. Yeah, it, uh, it's not anywhere on the news. If it ain't anywhere on the news, then the people aren't aren't uh, aren't uh, being apprised of anything. And so, if they're not being apprised of anything, they don't know that there's anything to be concerned or worried about. Then, do they? Yeah, and how many or people he, in America do you think are concerned about Epstein's funny hanging? Yeah, they just keep this garbage in front of us, don't they? And that pathetic lady that's supposedly gaining in the polls, Pocahontas, she comes out <laughs> and apologizes for being a big fat liar. She, she did that yesterday. She goes, look, I know I'm a liar, but we got to beat Trump. 
He said, the way we're going to do that is we're going to give you everything you ever wanted free. He said, all we're going to do is tax the rich people. And some fact checker said, your numbers don't add up. She said, well, let's not get, let's not get hung up in the details. He signed an application in the state of Texas to get uh, a some sort of cheaper education by being an Indian. That's called fraud. Well, she did it in Massachusetts, right, Rich? Yeah, she did it in Harvard to be a professor. Well, she uh, in uh, Texas, she um, filled out that she was an Indian when she was going to take the bar exam for uh, Texas. Okay. Well, there was some benefit to it, wasn't there? Yeah. To being a so she's oh, yeah. a fraud. The total fraud. Well, she, that's how she got her college job, because she claimed she was an Indian. And they didn't okay. have any minorities. And and the uh, the Indian girl that married the guy from her, her daddy's from Haiti or somewhere. They said you're not black, and you know what she said? She said I identify with the blacks, therefore I'm black. Camilla Harris. Yeah, she's about half Jamaican. Yeah, and de Blasio can't even get a measurable number of supporters. They can't even quantify anybody other than his wife that would vote for him. <laughs> He's still in the race. They're, they're throwing water on the policemen. They're throwing bricks at him in New York City. And he didn't have a problem with that. He said, well, they, they've they earned it. And how about in Portland? We have people killing people. And they call them anti-fascist. They don't even know what fascism is. They're the fascists. Talk about calling right wrong and wrong right. They're evil. Who do you think's paying all these people to do this? Where are these ninjas is? Why doesn't somebody whip out an AR-15 or 14 or whatever and start plowing down these ninja warriors in self-defense? I'd like to see that. Oh, they're banned, aren't they? Only the bad guys have them. I want to. Well, we, I want to bring our we attention. We don't shed innocent blood, right? Well, right. I don't see how innocent. I don't think these uh, people are very innocent. They're hurting people. They're kicking them. They're throwing rocks at their heads. Let me. Uh, let me quick. Let me quick let me quick get on to a couple of other points here. Um, in Numbers chapter 20, um, I wanted to bring our attention back to something that happened. And I know that we all know this, but sometimes we forget about it. In Numbers chapter 20, we find the story about how, um, and of course it's, it's carried in, in Exodus as well, but 
just quickly going to Numbers 20, because I was in Numbers earlier with you, Russell, on Numbers 14, I think it was. But here in 20, uh, verses 14, Moses sent messengers from Kadesh unto the king of Edom. Thus says thy brother Israel, thou knowest all the travail that has befallen us, how our fathers went down into Egypt, and we have dwelt in Egypt a long time, and the Egyptians vexed us and our fathers. And when we cried unto the Lord, he heard our voice, and sent an angel, and has brought us forth out of Egypt. And behold, we are in Kadesh, a city in the uttermost of thy border. Let us pass, I pray. A lot to unpack there. Moses is saying, he sends messengers to the king of Edom. Your brother, Israel. You know, look at what's, what's befallen us. And this is what A says. Let us pray, I pray, let us pass, I pray thee, through thy country. We will not pass through the fields nor through the vineyards, neither will we drink of the water of the wells. We will go by the king's highway, and we will not turn to the right, to the left, until we have passed your borders. And Edom said unto him, Thou shalt not pass by me, lest I come out against thee with the sword. See, Something that we have failed to, to recognize and articulate enough is that this Edom, Mount Seir, all the historical books of the Bible convey the record of the enmity and warring activities of Edom with Israel. In every single historical book and that's something that boy have they ever kept out of the minds of the Israelites of today as if to say that those wars and those battles are are now over and they no longer exist in Esther chapter 8, verse 17, <clears throat> this is where we find the king had sent out a decree to protect the Judahites. It's translated in our Bibles, the Jews. And these things keep popping to me and keep occurring to me as I look at these things with fresh eyes and a fresh thought process. You see, these Judahites... <clears throat> had the king's protection. That's just similarly like having God's protection. <clears throat> and so many of those in the land wanted to become Judahites because of the fear, or really we should say because of the benefit which accrued to them by the king's decree. And it tells us in Esther 8.17 that that's exactly what happened. And in every province and in every city, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness, a feast and a good day, and that should be Judahites, and many of the people of the land became, became Jews 
or Judahites. For the fear of the Judahites fell upon them. In other words, why would you want to be anywhere else? You know, you'd want to be in the camp of the Judahites because the Judahites have protection from the king. And this is why Christ told John in the revelation to John, I know the blasphemy of them that say they are Jews, Judahites, but are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan, the synagogue of adversaries. I looked up that word synagogue just so I could wrap my head around it again. And that synagogue means an association. They are an association of adversaries to everything that God wills and that God desires. I didn't get through. I mentioned the Jebus meant threshing place, and that's where you see in Jehoshaphat, in Ezekiel, he says, bring him to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Well, what was that? In Jehoshaphat's day, there was a great threshing that took place. The Ammonites, number 05984, they're descendants of Ammon from Lot through Banami, dwelling in the Transjordan region, northeast of Moab, east of Jordan. The Moabites were a son of Lot by the eldest daughter. Remember when they got his, their father drunk and thought that he would not have any children? And this is why God said that, that a Moabite may not enter the congregation of the Lord under the 10th generation. So, and the, uh, the Egyptians and the Amorites. Exactly. And so what, what I'm saying is that this, this, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Rich, go ahead. Uh, I said Gomorrah had very astute sex educators in the kindergartens. Yeah. Josephus records that... Go ahead. I was just going to ask either one of y'all if you've ever met one of these people that you're talking about. I guess I met my first... Yeah, I guess I met my first one, yeah, Saturday. He he explained to me that there is no male-female, there is no black-white, there is no racist. It's the human race. And as this man talked to me, I realized, crazy. You are crazy. I mean, have you all ever confronted one of them? They are bizarre. And they... Oh, I met, I met plenty of them. They're dedicated <laughs> to their cause. I mean, they think we're the nutcase. There's no difference between a man and woman, he said. They're human. Well, you know, he's got a point with some of them, a god-awful ugly. You can't tell what they are. And he said, there's no such thing as a race. There's a human race. And I said, well, it's on every application I've ever seen. Somebody believes in separate races. I mean, I was just... I was just standing there saying to myself, I've heard about you guys, but I've never really talked to one like this. 
You're nuts. You're a Moabite on steroids. No, he's an Edomite. And Cindy said, you don't understand. He's probably married to a black or a, a whatever. Probably I did a family portrait. I did a family portrait one time, and there was a husband and a wife, and they had three sons, and they were Jewish. And so one married a black girl, one had an Asian girl, and the other one had like an Indian from India girl. Their entire gene pool was was thrown against the wall. I mean, you can't rationalize with them is my point. The battle is the Lord's. His problem wasn't with all this other junk. He did not care for my God. That was the bottom line. And what what did we just read there, Doug? Uh, who was it that said this battle not yours, it's God's battle? So true. These people hate God, the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's what they hate. They're after our inheritance. And, and they all he, out of existence, they get it. They wrote the book on hatred. Therefore, what do they accuse us of? Being haters. Their playbook is old and worn out. Who does it fool anymore? Who does it deceive? Well, at any rate, like I said, um, Ezra 9, 1 and 2, Esther 8, 17, it, it, it comes, it, it brings it to mind clearer and clearer every time I keep studying and keep researching and so forth. And, um, you know, as I said, as I said, you know, you talked about preconceived notions, Russell, at the beginning. And just like uh-huh. that Revelation 2.9 2, and 3.9, you see there's a preconceived notion twofold in there. And one of them is, is to put our eyes on something else other than what Christ is truly saying there. And what he's truly saying is, I know the blasphemy of those that say they are somebody whom they are not. That is, that is very important and valuable information. And then when you couple into him and it says that they are the synagogue of Satan and you understand the word synagogue means assembly or um, uh, the other word was uh, association, assembly, uh, and then you look the word, you know, uh, Satan as used there, it's Satanus, and Satanus is uh, number four, five, six, seven, uh, meaning adversary. You so thousands of these people, thousands of these people, in the days of Esther, Ezra, Nehemiah, thousands of these people did what? They took on the name. They took on the name so that 
they could receive protection. Protection the, from the who? Word, the word literally What was that? Means, the word synagogue literally means a bringing together. An assembly. An assembly. Put in motion. To drive, draw out, or forth. To move. Okay, so the purpose of the assembly is to put something in motion. Right. And what was it that was being put into motion? Adversarial doctrines. Yeah. To the God Better. of creation. It just keeps it just keeps coming. There's no no escaping it. Uh, just quickly, Ammonites number zero five nine eight four descendants of Ammon from oh I did that one uh, yeah I did all of those Amorites Amar. Uh, number 0559, peoples east of Canaan, beyond Jordan, uh, dispossessed by Israel's march out of Egypt. So this all added to those thousands and thousands of people at the time of Christ who were indeed mixed. And they, Christ was having to speak to them without them knowing what he wanted those of Israel to know that he had come and returned for them because God only wants those whose hearts is truly turned on him. He doesn't want those who feign it in the last minute in order to get a reprieve. And that's something that the people find hard to stomach. They they can't believe that that you know Christ said that, you know, I speak in parables so that those that should not hear, would not hear, lest I should have to heal them. And uh, he would rather they continue in their iniquity. So uh, he could go ahead and not pardon their iniquity. And, you know, he's, he's just and he's righteous. And if you want to say that that's unjust or unrighteous, you've got to take that up with God. I don't have anything to do with that. I just know what he says and what he left for us as a record. So anyhow, I guess that was something that I saw in Second Chronicles 20 that I thought was very much like what we're experiencing here in America today. And I, I don't believe I've ever seen it brought out that way or never recall Pastor Peter's doing a message on that specifically. Maybe he did. Um, but uh, I just uh, that's where everything was leading me these last couple weeks was just really digging into that Second Chronicles 20 so I know it's at the top of the hour here so um, don't want to take it too long here so if anybody's got anything they want to say quick otherwise we'll close in prayer All right. Well, Heavenly Father, I do call upon your name. Father, I call upon you in, 
in prayer and, and in praise and glory, and I say, Father, hear our voices, that we, we do understand and we do recognize the need for us to have our hearts right for you, to have our hearts prepared to seek you, and we, Father, do seek you and are prepared and have been preparing our hearts continually. And so, Father, we just continue to ask that your will be done and that we understand the battle is yours, Lord. We want your name glorified and magnified in the land as these that seek to come in amongst us and dispossess us from the land that you gave us, a land that you promised to us, a wilderness. And out of this wilderness was forged these great cities and your people and their industry and so forth capitalized on all the resources that you had given them. And, Lord, we recognize that there was sin involved as well, sin against other peoples, a sin that you had not told them that they were authorized to engage in. There were people who tried to stop that sin. There were people who spoke against it. There were people that were adamant and spent lives and fortunes to destroy it and to root it out. And Father, we know who was involved in bringing it in amongst your people as a sin. But Father, let those people see and know who it is that has been striking them and know that it is not your people that did so, but rather it was the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Ammonites, the Canaanites, Father, who do what they love to do, which is to bring their wickedness and their poison and their filth and their degradation into the land because they know no other way to profit besides the sins of your people. Father, I pray that you will come against them and that you will hear our prayer and our supplication to you that should you not bring rep, 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 recompense upon those, your enemies, Father, and do to them as they are doing unto us, and even more so. And Father, we give praise and glory, and we sing out, as they did in the days of Jehoshaphat, we sing a new praise and a new song to you for glory, that your name be glorified and magnified in the land, and that once again every knee will bow knowing that thou art the Lord and that thou art with your people Israel here in America and other lands where the invasions have begun. Father, turn our hearts of our people. Prepare their hearts. Father, this is a prayer requesting that their hearts be prepared. Father, we're only a small voice, but we know that it's catching on. It's getting out. And there'll be no stopping it. And Father, we just pray that you continue to work in each and every one of us to guide and direct those that we see out there with the truth of this word. I ask these things, Father, in your name, this name of your son, who you gave the, the dominion over. We know, Father, that it was you in the flesh. So, Father, we thank you for for redeeming us and bringing us back to you and showing us that you are indeed the God of all creation. I thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Lord, I'm afraid.
I'm afraid of how we've treated you in this country, Father. And I thank you. And I pray that I pray that I give my attention to you. That I focus on you and that you hear our prayers, Lord. We thank you for the message that we heard tonight, Father. Amen. Amen. Well, men, until next week, I enjoy it as always. Thank you for sharing a part of your week with me and my family. So with that, I'll say good night and see you all next week. Okay, good night. All right. Good night, night.